We continue in our sermon series this week in the book of James. So let's have God's word open us up to James chapter 1. We're going to be going from verse 19 to 27. James will be in the first chapter and we'll begin in verse 19. This morning the sermon is titled, Hearing, Speaking, Doing. So let's rise and read together from God's Word, from James 1, starting with verse 19. Now this is the Word of the Lord. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of the man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, Christopher Nolan's movie uh, in 2000 called Memento uh, is about a man who appears to have memory loss. Uh, This man, every day he wakes up, And he can't remember uh, life before that day. And so throughout the movie, uh, he, this man, uh, to piece together the details of his life, to know who he is or discover the things that gone on, he begins tattooing important information onto his body and he starts leaving notes all over the place. Now throughout the movie, the viewer, we are also uh, piecing together the clues hoping to find out what is really true, hoping to find out the truth about this protagonist. But when you get to the end of the movie, if you haven't seen it already, it's been 12 years, so I can reveal it, or 22 years, excuse me. Uh, When you get to the end of the movie, in typical uh, Christopher Nolan fashion, it's revealed, there's a twist, that when this main character discovers the truth about who he is, about what he has done, he actually starts erasing those details because it's not the truth that he had wanted to hear. It's not the truth that he had desired for himself, so he selectively erases those details so that the next morning he can wake up with only the information that he wants to remember. This man is a man who, while suffering from memory loss, is a man who still deceives himself. You know, one of the central topics in the book of James is self-deception. We find in verse 16, James says, Be not deceived, 
Or in verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Or in verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious but does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. You see, if you recall two weeks ago, as we begun, as we started this series, James, his intention is to eliminate any superficiality, is to get rid of any hypocrisy and get to pure religion, get to true Christianity. And to do that, James has to battle self-deception. So today's passage that we've just read, James offers to us four ways, four steps for us to weed out, choke out the self-deception that is within us all. Here are the four steps. First, James says this, be quick to hear. Second, be slow to speak. Third, be slow to anger. And fourth, be quick to act. Four steps. Quick, slow, slow, quick. First, be quick to hear. James says if we want to avoid self-deception, the first thing that we have to do is we have to listen. And we have to listen often, and we have to listen quickly. See, at the root of self-deception is this stubborn insistence that the only correct viewpoint is yours. Those who are self-deceived, they block out, they defect, right? Like the karate kid, they're just defecting, deflecting any opposing or challenging positions. Those who are self-deceived simply do not listen. They don't listen. They don't listen to anyone but themselves. I mean, consider the Pharisees, the prime examples of self-deception. The Pharisees who were experts in the law, they were more religious than anyone else. They thought that they were closer to God than everyone else. And what did they do? As a result, they didn't listen to anyone. They didn't allow for anyone to challenge them or correct their views They were insistent. They were stubbornly insistent that they were correct, even to the point that when the God whom they professed to believe in appeared before them, offering correction, when the author of Scripture himself came saying, no, no, this is what I actually meant, they insisted, no, we are right. See, if you don't listen, if you're hard of hearing, the likelihood is You are deceiving yourself. You know, two weeks ago, I shared that James is considered to be the Proverbs of the New Testament, as both are interested in the subject of wisdom. And if you read Proverbs, a book that's all about wisdom, do you know what the most frequent command is? The most frequent command is to listen. To answer the question, who is wise, Proverbs gives the unexpected answer. The one who is wise is not the one who speaks best. The one who is wise is not the one who knows most, but the one who is wise is one who listens best. And James is in agreement with Proverbs. The one who is wise, the one who avoids self-deception is one who is quick, quick to listen. Now, if you're convinced of this, I guess the next logical question to ask is, who? Who should we listen to then? Now, while it's not incorrect to say that James wants us to generally be good listeners, James wants us to listen to everyone, 
The context of today's passage has something a bit more specific in mind. If you look in verse 118, James says, of his own will, as he's speaking of God, he has brought us forth by the word of truth. Or in James 1.21, as we read, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. You see, when James is talking about being quick to listen, he is talking about the word of God. Be quick to listen to God's voice in and through Scripture. You know, a very simple question that we ought to be asking ourselves this morning is this. Are we quick to listen to the Word of God? Is there a readiness within you to receive with meekness, to receive with humility the Word of God that has brought forth in you new life? I mean, even now, are you listening to the Word of God as it is being preached? Are you listening to the Word of God as it is being sung? Are you listening to the Word of God as it is being prayed? Do you listen for the Word of God? Are you quick to listen to God's Word as your community group exhorts you in the Word? Or do you find your mind just drifting, listening to the echoes of your own voice? Are you intentionally hitting the mute button on the Word of God? Or in life, when you're left with tough decisions, when you're searching for answers in life, to whom do you turn? Where do you turn? Do you turn? Are you quick to listen to His Word? When life has become too much and you're burdened by it, or life has become too little and you feel that it's boring and mundane, are you quick to listen to His voice? Whether you're facing the trials of affliction or the temptations of abundance, do you find yourself quick to listen to God's Word? Notice James doesn't say, be quick to think. I wish James said that. Then I would have a lot of gold star stickers next to my name because I am always just thinking. But I was reminded this week in my study that James exhorts us not to think think, but simply listen, listen to His Word. And so, the first step in avoiding weeding out, choking out self-deception in our lives is to be quick to hear, quick to hear. The second step, slow to speak. You know, James talks a lot about the tongue. He talks a lot about words because James understands the powerful effect that words have. And we'll look at this more in detail in weeks to come, but in chapter 3, James, he likens the tongue to a small spark. And like this spark, it's small, but it's able to set a whole forest on fire. Friends, just consider the effect of words. Because of words, wars have been fought. Because of words, lives have been lost. Because of words, reputations have been tarnished. Because of words, relationships have been broken. Isn't much of our identities, haven't much of our identities and self-perception been shaped by the words that we've heard? The words that you heard when you were young, the words that were used to describe how you look, 
the words that were used to describe how you acted, your self-perception, your identity, they've been shaped by the words that were spoken to and over you. Now, I do want to draw a small distinction here. You see, the Bible isn't teaching that words in themselves have power, but the Bible teaches us that words are powerful because they communicate the heart and the mind of someone. This is a very small distinction, but I think it's crucial and important. Look with me at Hebrews 1.3. Uh, as the author of Hebrews says this, Jesus, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now notice, it doesn't say that he upholds the universe by the power of his word, which I think most of us think, but it says by the word of his power. What's the difference? Well, the author of Hebrews, Scripture isn't teaching that words in themselves are powerful, but power is expressed and encapsulated through words. See, words are like pill capsules. They contain, they store up, they encapsulate what is really inside the hearts and the mind of a person. And this is a potent thing. This is a powerful, powerful thing. So if ever you were to read words on the page, if ever you were to, you know, get a piece of paper and write on, you know, and and find words on that page that says, you are worthless. You can read it over and over again, and that doesn't have much sway over you. That doesn't have much power over you. But if someone you love, someone you care for, if your brother, your sister, your parent, your lover writes, you are worthless, That has immense power over you. And on the other hand, you can read words of affirmation all you want. You can scroll through Instagram stories and find words of affirmation. You are special. You are precious. You are beautiful. You are worth it. You can read all of those words all you want, but they have no power over you. They have no effect unless they are spoken or written by someone who is significant. Unless someone who has immense say over your life utters the words of affirmation, you are loved, then that has immense, immense power. If the creator of this whole universe says to you, you are my beloved, and if your Redeemer tells you you are worth the pain and the suffering of the cross, that has immense power to shape your entire self-perception, and your identity. See, words themselves are not powerful, but words contain and communicate the power, influence, emotions that we all have as a result of being made in the image of God. Jesus reminds us in Matthew 12, uh, 34, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks So the mouth is a tool of the heart. What is in our hearts, it is communicated through our speech. And this is the reason why James, along with the rest of the Bible, tells us, be slow to speak. Be slow to speak. Because as verse 21 in today's passage tells us, we are filled with filthiness and rampant wickedness. And the more we talk, the more likely the chance 
there is for sin. The more we talk, the more misunderstanding. The more we talk, the more confusion, the more hurt, the more bitterness, and the more distortion. More words rarely offer clarity, but more words often brings confusion. Proverbs 10, 19 tells us, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. You know, if you've ever had a transcript of everything that you've ever said, if we can get a transcript of everything that we've ever said up until this point, and you had the chance to redact your words, I am fairly confident that all of us here would choose to strike a fair, sizable portion of all the things we've ever said. For every one time we think, I wish I would have said something, there are ten more times we think, I wish I didn't say anything at all. I wish I didn't say that. Now, just a word of caution here. You know, when the Bible says, when James tells us, be slow to speak, James isn't saying that we ought to be silent. You know, please do not misapply this uh, in your community groups. As you sit around, you know, just staring at each other cluelessly, and no one's talking or sharing, and it's because you think, well, I have to be slow to speak. Ephesians 4.29 tells us that we ought to use words that are good for building up as fits the occasion. Use words that are good for building up as it fits the occasion, as it's timely and appropriate. And so this is important as well. If you are a married man, you can't go to a single lady, single woman, and say, wow, you look stunning today. I see the glory of God in you. That might be good for building up, but it's not fitting for the occasion. You see, words that are good for building up but not fitting often equates to creepiness. (laughs) But the Bible also tells us that in addition to using words that are good for building up that's fitting to the occasion, the Bible tells us there are occasions when we ought to speak out, speak up, and speak often. Look with me in Proverbs 31, 8 to 9. He says this, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. And I think James has this in mind as he writes in the following verses. In verse 26, Be careful how you speak. Take control of your tongue. Pure religion is what? to visit orphans, to to care for widows, to care for the destitute. You see, when it comes to injustices in the world, when it comes to those who cannot speak for themselves, these are the moments when we ought to speak out, speak up, and speak often. You know, I find that Christians oftentimes desiring to exhibit wisdom, we fail to speak out when we need to. There are moments when we need to be slow to speak, and that's most of the time, especially in our personal relationships. But in the face of injustice, we should speak. We should speak for the unborn. We should speak for the destitute, for the poor. We should speak for the fatherless. We should speak for the widow. We should speak for the oppressed. We should speak for the orphan. And all the other times, James tells us, be slow to speak. But I think we've got this reversed. We fail to speak out for those who are voiceless, but we speak out 
often for our own selves, for the own injustices that we face. James says, no, you need to reverse this. When you speak, speak for the voiceless. But for yourselves, be slow to speak. So if this was a dance that James is teaching us, the first step is quick. Be quick to hear. The second step is slow. Be slow to speak. The third step, be slow to anger. I'll be really brief on this point. I'll be slow to speak on this point. Slow to anger. What does he mean? James says this, verse 19, Be slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I think we all know what it means for one to be slow to anger. But I think the reason that James gives is fascinating. What does James say? He says, your anger, my anger, does not produce the righteousness of God. Another word for righteousness is justice. It's the same word. What James is saying is this. Your anger, however justified it might be, will not bring about the justice of God. So, even if we see terrible injustices in the world, yes, we ought to speak out for those people. Yes, we ought to be advocate for the voiceless. But anger? No, our anger will never balance the scales of injustice. James tells us anger will never bring about God's kingdom. However right you may be, however much wrong you have experienced, you and I are never given a free license to be angry. Your angry will never be justified because it does not bring about the justice of God. See, this is the real difficult teaching about James. See, in your anger, what are you really seeking? Are you seeking your own justice, or are you seeking the justice of God? Usually, God's justice is just a charade. It's just a mask or a costume that we hide behind when the real agenda is what? Our own justice. What we're really trying to satisfy is our own sense of justice. And James says, no, your anger will not balance the scales of injustice. Romans 12, 19 says this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. This is not Samuel L. Jackson talking, you know, vengeance is mine, you know, in Pulp Fiction. The Lord is saying, vengeance is mine. Your anger will not bring the justice of God. And so the steps are fast, slow, slow. And finally, the last step, fast. Be quick to act. James 1.22 says this, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Again, James is concerned with authentic religion. What are the marks of a true believer? Well, James says this, here's one. The mark of a true believer is this, he or she hears the word of God and they act upon it. The distinguishing mark is not, does this person know? Has he heard? Is she aware? These are not the distinguishing marks, but what makes a true Christian is, has that person 
heard the word? And are they acting upon it? Is there trust and faith in the word? Is it being relied upon? Has the word been implanted deep into the controlling recesses of the hearer's mind and his heart? And is it bearing fruit in the lives of its hearers? Remember the parable of the sower in Matthew 13. The road gets the seed. The rocks get the seed. The thorns even get the seed. But it's actually the good soil that produces fruit. I'm sure at some point in your life you've heard of um, this mysterious thing, this very cryptic thing uh, called Bitcoin. (laughs) Certainly it is cryptic. Uh, I remember I first stumbled upon it in 2014. I wanted to buy something online, and the person that was selling it said he was only accepting Bitcoin. So I navigated through the dark web of the blogs and and Reddit and and, uh, all these weird dark sites. And I thought, okay, I'll buy a few. So I purchased some Bitcoin to buy the item, but I also bought some extra. It's like, hey, I'll, I'll have some Bitcoin on my hands. Well, a few months later, my younger brother, who was just out of college at the time, he was broke. And so he asked, hey, can I borrow some money? And I told him, well, you know, I have some Bitcoin. I don't know really what it is. I'll give it to you. Why don't you convert it and use the cash for what you need? And he agreed. And now, in 2022, I'm crypto poor. (laughs) See, I've heard of crypto. I read of its potential. I heard of this thing called Bitcoin, but I didn't believe in it. And still to this day, I'm really not sure. Now, if there are any crypto bros here, please do not come up to me after service trying to persuade me. But you see, James says there's a world of a difference between simply knowing and believing. If you believe, it will result in action. And that is what James is talking about. As he looks out at the church, this early church that's filled with people who hear the Word of God constantly, every day, for hours at a time, he sees the church, but he sees that the Word of God isn't really making a difference in their lives. He says this, imagine, imagine someone who looks intently into the mirror. They look for blemishes. They look for things to maybe cover up or things to remove. Maybe he has something stuck in his teeth. Maybe there's mucus in her nose or mucus in her eyes, but then they immediately go away and they forget. They forget what they look like. James is saying that's what some of us are like. You know, ever since uh, I became a uh, pastor, uh, I uh, had this reoccurring dream. Now, the dream is um, the context and the situation is always different, but the situation is exactly the same. Uh, I come to church on a Sunday, ready to preach, and I stand at the pulpit with just my undergarment on. I come to church, and I'm completely naked. I don't know if that's metaphorical or symbolic of something, (laughs) Uh, but I have this dream quite often where I come to church, ready to preach, and I'm naked. But in the dream, this always happens. I look into the mirror, and I see that I'm naked, and I tell myself, I need to get dressed. But somehow, through the busyness of Sunday morning, I just run out, and I arrive at church, and I see that I'm naked. You know, I've seen housewives running out, running errands with their aprons on or with their uh, hair curlers on their head, having forgotten that they didn't take it off. 
How often do we look in the mirror before we leave our homes and we see, oh no, I have my slippers on, I should put my dress shoes on, but you just run out of the house and you completely forget. That's what James is saying. You listen to the Word of God. You listen to the Word of God. But what? The moment it's done, you completely forget. James is saying, you know what that's like? That's like someone who looks at himself and forgets immediately what he's looked like. You see, the Bible isn't interested in how much you know. It isn't interested in how well you know or how well you can explain how well you can teach. But it's interested in do you take these words, are you a hearer and a doer? Maybe that's what my dream is about. Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, he's like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Fast, slow, slow, fast. Church, what is your tempo? Let me end just with an apt illustration. Uh, About 12 years ago, my my wife and I, we were on our honeymoon uh, in Jeju Islands. And one of the days we had planned to get on a submarine and explore the ocean. But on our way there to get on the submarine, we saw this ad. We saw an ad for scuba diving. And so we called the place up, just curious, and said, hey, listen, we're about to get on a submarine, but uh, I see this ad for scuba diving. Are you sure that we can do this? And he persuades us. He says, no, you have to come right now. You have to come right now. The ship is leaving soon. You can go scuba diving with us. And he persuades us with these words. He says, do you want to see the ocean with your bare eyes or through a tiny, tiny glass? And so we turn around, we make a detour, and we go to the scuba diving place. We arrive at this small, small little house. We enter, and the person tells us, listen carefully for the next 15 minutes. I'm going to teach you how to scuba dive. I found this a bit strange. So I asked him politely, I said, sir, uh, to scuba dive, you need hours of lessons and you need to be certified. I'm not sure if this is possible. And he tells me essentially, quick to listen, slow to speak. I said, we have 15 minutes. Do not ask questions, just listen. And so uh, we sat down. He gave us a quick 15-minute lesson on scuba diving. And in the end, he says this, if all else fails, know that there are going to be two divers who will come alongside you. Now, these people are not certified divers, but they basically grew up in the ocean. So they're better than certified. You know, they were born pre-certified, right? You gotta love Korea. Um, And after hearing that, I was a bit scared. I was actually really worried, but at this point, we're newlyweds. And I'm still in the phase where I'm trying to impress my wife. So foolishly, I, I reassure I said, it's, it's, it's okay, don't worry. I mean, I'm basically scuba certified too, according to this man. And so we put on our wetsuits, we get our oxygen tanks, we get on a car, we drive out to the shore, we get on a small boat, and we go further out. We get on a boat, we go out, it's cloudy, it's rainy, and we dock near this small island that looks like Shelter Island from the movie. Very, very creepy. And we jump in. We jump into the ocean with these better-than-certified divers. We go 10 feet deep. We go 20 feet, 30 feet. And there I start to panic. I can feel the pressure 
I look down and I see the bottomless ocean and it looks like it is miles away, but when I look up and I see the surface, that too looks like it's miles away. And as I'm there panicking, I remember the wise words of the instructor. He told us, you will panic, you will likely panic, but just remember this lesson. Do exactly as I tell you. Remember, breathe out of your mouth, breathe in with your mouth. Breathe out with your mouth and breathe in with your mouth. Long, steady breaths, long, steady breaths. The more you panic, the more out of breath you'll become. Breathe with your mouth, breathe with your mouth. I trusted my life to this man and his words and my wife's life. We listened. We listened for 15 minutes. But when we got to the ocean 30 feet deep, I started to panic. And in that moment, I remembered what I listened to and I started to act upon it. If in that moment I continued to panic, if I started to do something else, I would have been like one who listened and immediately forgotten. But in so doing, in breathing and following exactly what I was told, I was actually liberated. I was freed. I started to calm down. And my eyes were opened. And I started to not look down or up, but I started to look around me. And I started to experience the beauty and the life that was all around me. I was breathing. I was living and I was experiencing life through the sea creatures. And in so doing, I was filled with so much joy. Friends, see how James describes the Word of God. What does he say? He says it's the Word, the law of liberty. It's the law that frees you, that it doesn't imprison you, that when we act upon it, it actually liberates us. It's the law of life. He talks that when we do so, we will be in a state of blessedness. In other words, when we do so, that is when we will truly be happy. Friends, James promises to us that acting on the Word of God leads to life. It is liberating. See, the gospel is good news. In other words, it's good. they are good words. The gospel itself is words that bring life. And through these good words, James reminds us we were given new birth. And by being doers of the word, we preserve in it. The word of God is perfect, as James says. It's liberating, as James says. And in doing, following the word of God, we become blessed. We enter a state of bliss. We experience true joy. And we experience life. We live when we obey him at his word. Friends, would you take this moment to once again submit yourselves to the word of God, knowing that in doing so, that you would be freed. Would you join me in prayer at this time?